He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous. You may be seated. And as you're being seated this afternoon, let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful that you are, as Josh has said, ruling and reigning even now. And we do even now look ahead to the day where you will rule and reign in full, when we will enjoy your kingdom and know what it means uh, to live in fullness, not only uh, with you, but with one another. Lord, I ask that you would impress upon us by your spirit this afternoon uh, a great anticipation for your return, a great anticipation to see righteousness flourish, not just in moments and in glimpses, but in fullness uh, when you rule and reign in full. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, good afternoon. My name is Jake. I'm part of the team here. It's good to be with you. If I haven't met you, uh, I also want to meet you. And Heath also wants to meet you. As you can tell, he's a very outgoing guy. And he actually needs to meet you. He has this hole in his heart uh, that is missing when he's not talking to people. Uh, And so please say hi to Heath for his own sake. Uh, We began our series last week in Proverbs, uh, acquiring some tools, right? laying a foundation uh, for how we should approach uh, this book. Uh, This week, we're continuing in Proverbs and looking specifically at what it means, according to Proverbs, to be righteous and to be wicked. To be righteous and to be wicked. Uh, Just a note, you'll notice this if you saw our outline. Uh, Proverbs often presents itself and often presents life as binary. Uh, You either have life or you have uh, death. Uh, you either have righteousness, we see today, or, or, or wickedness. Uh, we'll see in a few weeks. You can either have foolish speech or wise speech. Uh, towards the end of the summer, we'll see you can either be proud or, or humble. And this is helpful, isn't it? Uh, to, to see the full picture uh, of something. Uh, this uh, afternoon will be helped not only to see uh, the positive example or vision of righteousness, but also to, on the flip side of that, what exactly wickedness looks like. But what does it mean? What does it mean, according to Proverbs, to be righteous or or wicked? On our own, if we were to right now create two people, just in our mind's eye, one righteous, the other wicked, uh, in our minds, what would they look like? What would the righteous person look like? What would the wicked person look like? Uh, Modern righteousness, I think, I could be wrong here, but is simply defined as being in the right. Being in the right. Modern righteousness, our cultural righteousness, is actually quite difficult to obtain because the standard and the causes you have to endorse to obtain it are always changing, aren't they? Modern righteousness is an elusive thing. Further, 
if you aren't consistently broadcasting your views on the key cultural topics of righteousness, it's safe to assume you're no longer righteous. You're outside the camp. Uh, Consider uh, the celebrity influencer who one week endorses a vegetarianism as the way to go, as the most responsible, sustainable, modern, righteous way to live. And then next week, oh, the, the, the script changes. And actually, veganism is the new standard of righteousness, and that, 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 that person is now wicked outside the camp. How, how could they ever say that about eggs and milk? Uh, in view of this, our cultural wickedness is easily defined, if we look at the other person here, is easily defined as anything that does not keep pace with our cultural righteousness. We all know this. There is no guarantee that what is called righteous today will be called righteous tomorrow in our culture, in our society, right? In the worlds of business, sex, wherever, the standard is always changing. I want us to see this afternoon that these fluctuating these ever-changing, these anxiety-ridden standards of righteousness and wickedness, these standards that we're used to, it couldn't be more different in the book of Proverbs. They couldn't be more different. Remember, if you were here last week, I said that we can't think of righteousness in Proverbs the same way that we think of righteousness in, say, Romans or Galatians, for example. Uh, Solomon and the other authors are not talking about right standing with God the way that Paul is, for example. Rather, righteousness is used in Proverbs to refer to someone's right relatedness to the community. Now that sounds good, uh, but in our mind's eye, again, there's a number of ways that we could refer or rather uh, relate to the community in a positive way. What exactly is the author of Proverbs talking about? Well, let me say this. Uh, Bruce Waltke, uh, he's a local biblical scholar. Uh, He has wrote, uh, uh, he he wrote the definitive uh, commentary on Proverbs, teaches at Regent, goes to St. John's down the street, godly man, he's incredibly wise. And if anything I say is wise or helpful this afternoon, uh, it's Bruce Waltke. Just put like the dash and then Bruce Waltke beside it. It's not me. Uh, He says this. uh, He helpfully defines righteousness and wickedness in Proverbs like this. And you might want to write this down because this is key. In Proverbs, this is how we should understand it. The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others. But in Proverbs, the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. The wicked advantage themselves in Proverbs by disadvantaging others. But in Proverbs, the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage the other or or somebody else. Uh, We see really clear examples of this in places like Proverbs 21, verses 25 to 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, and, and then listen to this, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. A righteous person gives, and they feel it when they do. Look at Proverbs 29, verse 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Not only does the righteous give, but they are well acquainted with the plight of the poor in their midst. They call friends. They open their home to those who are very much unlike them, from a different class. Than them. 
Unlike the ever-changing standard of what it means to be socially and culturally righteous today, the standard of communal engagement remains the same for the one who fears the Lord. It's the same. Proverbs sees a group of God-fearing people who believe that God says what he means and means what he says and trust him. Proverbs sees this group of people greatly impacting the places they find themselves in righteousness. In contrary to this, the, the wicked destroy Tear down. You'll read elsewhere in Proverbs that when a wicked person leaves the city, people cheer and are excited because they're nothing but a blight on the city, nothing but a blight to relationships. Listen to Waltke again. The inspired sage's conception of righteousness is socially transformative. Socially transformative. It transforms the city of man into the city of God. From a culture that is metaphorically red, dripping with blood, to a culture that is green with life. So here's how we're going to approach the topic this afternoon. If you're taking notes, really simple. First, we're going to move towards a God-centered righteousness. Move towards a God-centered righteousness. Second, we'll see what it means to move away from a man-centered wickedness. And then thirdly and finally, before finally arriving at Jesus. So we're moving towards a God-centered righteousness, moving away from a man-centered wickedness before finally arriving at the person and work of Jesus. Sound good? Sounds terrible. Awesome. First, you guys are awake? We're going? Here we go. James is awake. Thank you, James. First, moving towards a God-centered righteousness. It might help us today to consider that in Proverbs, righteousness and wisdom are two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the same coin. They are describing the same person, uh, the same uh, attribute, if you will. Wisdom, we saw last week, refers to our intellect. And not just like the getting of information, like we can Google things and get information, but wisdom is this internalizing that information and skillfully applying we saw last week that the, the masons who built the temple uh, in the Old Testament, they were this, these wise, skilled people, same word used to refer to them. Uh, we, we saw that the tailors who made the robes for the priests uh, in, in the temple in the Old Testament, same word being used to apply to them. It's this skill uh, that, that has been internalized that they've mastered. Righteousness, uh, on the other hand, is living this out. It is this in, in action is doing these things, is disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of the other. Uh, There, and we can't miss this, in Proverbs there is this inseparable connection between what we think and what we do. Between what we think and what we do. So a wise person, according to Proverbs, will always live righteously. And a righteous person will always live wisely. Now we saw this, didn't we, in the text we just heard read? Proverbs 2, 6-9. For the Lord gives wisdom. Listen. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. And now notice verse 9. There's been the theological education of verses 6-8. to Now notice verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness. This is the doing and justice, and equity, every good path. 
Notice, our theological education, what we think, is the basis for our ethical education, what we do. It is only when we've received wisdom that only the Lord can give that you and I, according to Solomon, can then understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. Now, I doubt, and I could be wrong here, and I've been wrong before, it's happened. Once or twice, it's happened. Uh, But I doubt that there is anyone here today, whatever you believe, however you come here, who objects, broadly speaking, to the principle of people disadvantaging themselves to the advantage of others, right? That is sort of a socially accepted thing, right? Who's opposed to that, right? That's a wide gate. This is hardly uh, an offensive position to take. But, But notice, our disadvantaging ourselves as followers of Jesus is according to the wisdom that God gives. So let's put some Some clothes on this. We act, according to Proverbs, righteously when we move out of uh, that bedroom in our house uh, to house a a recently homeless teenager who just had an abortion. We do not act righteously when we give up our Saturday, sacrifice our Saturday morning to go volunteer at the clinic that provided it. We act righteously when we forego our family vacation to Disney World or Disneyland, whatever, Disney World is better, in case you're wondering, uh, in order to pay the school fees of that orphan halfway across the world. We, we act righteously in that situation. Uh, we do not act righteously when we choose to allocate those funds instead uh, to an organization promoting, uh, promoting violence across the world, promoting an, an unbiblical sexual ethic. If we are to move towards a God-centered righteousness, we need to begin by acknowledging that that means it is also a God-defined righteousness. It's not just broad and any sort of disadvantaging, any sort of giving of self. No, no, it's a God-defined righteousness as well. The, The city of God looks and smells and feels a particular way. As we act righteously, according to his wisdom, Proverbs tells us, not only will this lead to wholeness in the communities that we find ourselves, it will also lead to wholeness and intimacy, and and you're going to want to hear this, in our own relationship with God. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 9 with me. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves, he loves him who pursues Righteousness. So here's how this works. If we're to combine last week's sermon with this week's sermon, here's how this works. We begin, right, with the fear of the Lord. God is who he says he is. We obey God in light of who he is. Indeed, there's a trust relationship there. We begin with the fear of the Lord. From there, we acquire wisdom. This internalized, skillful living as those who do fear the Lord. We act out this wisdom, this is step three, through righteous living where we disadvantage ourselves in order to advantage others. And and now don't miss this. As we do this, what Proverbs is saying is as we do this, as we step out in faith faith and, and trust that even though our disadvantaging ourselves hurts us and is hard and is uncomfortable 
and we would just like a Saturday night to ourselves. As we do this, we come to not only know about the Lord, but, but come to truly know Him. We move from knowing about to truly knowing and enjoying and delighting and feeling the closeness of His presence. Now, let me give you an example. It is one thing, I think we can agree on this, to read and intellectually ascend to the idea, uh, as Proverbs 10 verse 3 says, that the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. It's one thing to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, and he thwarts the craving of the wicked, right? It's one thing, yeah, yeah, I I get that. I can even memorize it, whatever. It is quite another thing to step out in faith and empty your bank account and trust, trust that the Lord is going to put food on your table as well. It is in that moment, in that time when we are actually needy and dependent that that, that we have the joy of encountering the living God who meets us today by His Spirit. One person knows about God The other knows God. One knows God like a celebrity you read about online, right? Like Kawhi Leonard. I know a lot about Kawhi Leonard. The other knows God like a child knows a loving and and present father. And the key, the key to that switch, hear this, Christ City, is faith-filled acts of righteousness. Acts of righteousness that leave us with our hands empty, desperate for God to fill them. Desperate for God to meet us in them. See, maybe we don't know God. Maybe this is you. Maybe we don't know God because we never put ourselves in situations where he has to show up. Where he needs to show up. And if he doesn't show up, I don't know what we're going to do. We seek out, don't we, acts of righteousness that are advantageous for both us and them. Like, we we want win-wins, don't we? You get some, I get some, win-win, right? That's nice. As we move towards a God-centered righteousness, not only do we increasingly let him determine what righteousness means, he defines it, we also have the joy of finding our intimacy with him only increases, only deepens. That's our first thing. Now, of course, moving towards a God-centered righteousness implies, means, that that you and I must also be moving away from, moving from a man-centered wickedness. Now, remember, we said this. The wicked are those who advantage themselves by disadvantaging others. Now, to talk about wicked or wickedness as being man-centered might sound a bit uh, redundant, uh, but, but I'm trying to drive home a point here. If your motivation is self, self-gain, self-glory, self-promotion, then you've missed proverbial righteousness and entered into the domain, into the realm of of wickedness. A, A conception of wickedness like this, I think, goes well beyond our sort of broadly held conception or belief as to what is wicked. Like, if I was to look at you right now and say, hey, tell me someone who's wicked, we would say things like, Hitler, right? We'd say Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire charged with, with, with sex trafficking, 
right? We would think of evil corporations who prey on the vulnerable and the sick and the weak. Uh, Those readily come to our minds when we think of the wicked, don't we? But the definition here in Proverbs is much more all-encompassing and touches, and maybe this is offensive, but even people like you and me, hearts like yours and mine. Listen to Waltke again. Most English speakers, I suspect, when they think of wickedness, think in terms of the Ten Commandments, right? And, and it does include those. For, for most, wickedness refers to murder, adultery, stealing, lying. But in Proverbs, wickedness pertains to the finer points. And we don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. Wickedness pertains to the finer points of not feeding the poor when you have the power to do so, of not honoring the honorable, of not stopping gossip in its track, and so forth. Uh, viewing wickedness in this way can be like overwhelming, can it? Oof. But let me give you a brief sampling of this wickedness that Waltke describes in Proverbs. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-nine says, A wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. Bluffing, right? Anybody play poker? Right? A, a bold front, perhaps overpromising the potential of a given product you're trying to sell. I promise you this vacuum will change your life. Right? This, this magic eraser is going to make your walls look you know, infinitely better and improve your marriage. Right? Which it does a little bit. I'm not selling magic erasers. Right? Wickedness. Overpromising. W- wickedness. It's advantaging yourself to disadvantage the other person, right? Advantaging yourself. Get that money in your pocket, and you leave that person with, with garbage and junk, even if it's sort of like half-made, uh, well, junk. Proverbs eleven eighteen says, The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Like, is anybody really hurt if I leave uh, at, at 3 p.m. and my time card says 4 p.m.? You know, it's just another hour. I, I got to beat the traffic. I, I'm sure my employer understands, and I'm definitely sure the Lord understands. He, like, he knows the time I'm going to have at the cabin. Wickedness. In disadvantaging your employer to advantage your weekend, we're told it, it, it's wickedness. Proverbs 12, verse 10 says, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Right? This, this wickedness doesn't just apply to the way that we relate to other people. Apparently, it applies to the way that we relate to animals and, and the created world. Right, Disadvantaging them and, and pillaging it for our own advantage, our own gain. It's overwhelming. And I'm intending to overwhelm you. Our wickedness, if we're to take the full biblical picture of evil and wickedness, it goes deeper and is much more pervasive than we thought. You and I are sick. What Proverbs is teaching us, what this wisdom is teaching us, is that our problem, it goes much deeper than the surface, much deeper than the skin. It goes all the way down to our hearts. It teaches us that you and I need not cosmetic surgery, but but heart surgery. We need new hearts. Notice, That's why Solomon says in Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all vigilance, 
for from it flows the springs of life. Uh, maybe you heard this verse in like a dating context before. It's not what it's really about. It's about keeping your heart and focusing your heart and, and, and your desires of your heart Godward towards him. Because what we desire controls us, indeed compels us. Our problem is our hearts. See, the reality of life and, and my life at times seems like when I peel back the layers of my motives, more often than not, my motives are driven by self and self-glory and self-advantageousness and not the advantaging, advantaging, there's, there it is, of others. Thou shalt not murder. Like, I got it covered. And if I haven't, you should ask me a question about that. I, I, I got it, right? That thou shalt not commit adultery. Like, like, like I, I got it. That thou shalt love thy neighbor, and, and loving thy neighbor means disadvantaging yourself in order to advantage them. And just a note: if you're like, nope, not me. Like I'm pretty good. Like I'm pretty set here. And people say I'm a pretty good guy or pretty good girl. Uh, Solomon, the guy who wrote much of Proverbs. Solomon, he himself failed to live out this righteousness. Solomon himself could not do this. And that's a piece of news that can make things pretty hopeless, especially if you remember our reading concluded like this. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will, integrity will remain in it. And listen, but the wicked, and we've just found out the wicked probably includes you and me, will be cut off from the land. And the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Our destiny is among those who are cut off or rooted out unless we come to Jesus. Unless we see Jesus this afternoon. See, Jesus agreed with Solomon. He did. Jesus, like Solomon, thinks the key is our hearts being made new. Remember, you, uh, you might remember uh, Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. There, there's the problem, the heart. And this, what comes from the heart, defiles a person. Uh, just a few chapters later, he'll say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus does, though, what Solomon could not do. Jesus comes and he doesn't just diagnose the problem. He doesn't just come and like sort of like shine a flashlight into our attic and say, oh, there's rot there. You should really get that checked on. He doesn't just come and open up our, our chest cavity and look at our heart and be like, oh, like that's dark and, and evil and wicked. No, Jesus does what Solomon could not do. Jesus comes and he gives us a new heart. He does the surgery himself. Jesus lives out the wisdom and the righteousness that Solomon only knew in parts, only knew in pieces. He lives this out how? By disadvantaging himself for the advantage of all who would believe in him. Friends, in the greatest and truest act of righteousness we will ever know, the world will ever know, Jesus goes to the cross and he gives his life that we might have eternal life. As we learned a few months ago in Galatians, Jesus became a curse for us. 
He became a curse. The curse that was on us, that we rightly bore, Jesus became that curse for us. Though he knew no sin, he became that curse for us. Jesus becomes poor that we might become rich. Uh, That we might have, as Paul tells us in Ephesians, every spiritual blessing. Spiritual blessings that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and our forefathers longed for. Guess what? In Jesus, we have those. Every spiritual blessing because of his act of righteousness. We, we need to see this because Jesus gives his life. Not only is our sin paid for, and not only do we have every spiritual blessing in him, but if we're to zoom out even further, we see that amazingly we've been united to Christ and now we are full of his spirit. And it's beautiful and it's glorious. It's a union It's a oneness wherein Jesus fulfills the promise made by God through the inspired prophet Ezekiel. And he said, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The heart of stone that could only do acts of wickedness despite how hard we try, despite how much effort we put in. We've been taken, it's been taken from us, and now we have a heart of flesh. Now by the Spirit, we can do acts of righteousness. Now with Christ and His glory as our aim, we can do these acts where we disadvantage ourselves in order to advantage others. Now in Christ, Because of God's wisdom seen in Jesus and his death on the cross, we are able to live out this righteous vision painted for us in Proverbs. This is intended to encourage you. This is intended to, not in the Tony Robbins way, inspire you. We know this. We know that this is possible because if we open our Bibles and see what happens when the Spirit of God comes, we discover that the church is transformed. The people of God are transformed by this new ability to actually, by the Spirit, now live righteously. Now now disadvantage themselves in order to advantage others. Notice, it applies a believer to believer. Acts 2.42 This famous passage, this utopian passage we come to uh, in the second chapter, Luke writes this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And, And listen, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. These are people who have new hearts. New hearts made possible by the Spirit. The righteousness, the wisdom that Solomon longed for now made possible in Christ. But it's not only believer to believer. If we keep on reading, it's church to church. First Corinthians, or rather 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. Paul writes this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and actually beyond their means of their own accord. Meaning, I didn't twist their arm. Why? Because they have new hearts. The heart that Solomon longed for, the heart that we now have in Christ, they've got it. It's believer to believer. It's, it's church to church. We see husbands disadvantaging themselves in order to advantage their wives. Again, Paul writes, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her. There is not a relationship, there is not a household, there is not a business that is not radically transformed when a spirit-filled follower of Jesus is there. It's a completely different way of thinking. It's a completely different way of operating. None of these places uh, remains the same when we move from man-centered wickedness to a God-centered righteousness. Because a follower of Jesus, walking the path of righteousness paved by Jesus, made possible by Jesus, isn't asking what's in it for me. We don't come this afternoon and ask, what's in it for me? Oh, the music was fine, but Josh has white hair. <sighs> you know? And the person at the connect table greeted me for like maybe 30 seconds. I was hoping for a full minute. Like, what's in it for me? You know? A follower of Jesus isn't wondering what they can get away with before someone else notices isn't wondering how they can achieve their intended result with the least effort, the least work on their end. I want to serve my neighbors, but really like once or twice a year, and maybe then I'll invite them all at once so it's not awkward. I don't know. That sounds easier. A follower of Jesus is no longer keeping score. Tallies of, of, of right and, and wrong, and they did this, so I do this. Uh, they fade to irrelevance, fade to irrelevance as we behold the work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. And this is exactly what we're encouraged to do. If you're wondering this afternoon what the application is, like the take-home for you, uh, we, we find it in Philippians 2. And at this point in the sermon, Philippians 2 should sound very familiar to us. Very familiar. Paul writes in verse 3 of Philippians 2, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It sounds a lot like righteousness in Proverbs, doesn't it? It sounds exactly like righteousness in Proverbs. But instead of leaving us wondering, like Solomon does, how could we ever do this? How could we ever walk in these paths? Paul lets us in on the secret. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Think this way. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it is already ours. It's ours. It's already ours. If you're in Jesus this afternoon, it is already yours. A, a new heart to love sacrificially, it's yours. It's yours. A, a new mind to think of others before you think of yourself. It's yours. It's yours. We have been given that in Christ Jesus. You have everything you need today to live righteously. There is no initiation to complete. Uh, no book to read. Uh, no, no meeting with a pastor to you know, begrudgingly attend because they're boring. Right? Like None of that. If you're in Jesus today and you have his spirit living in you, it's already yours. You have this mind, Paul says, in Christ Jesus. Now listen, listen, and this comes to us as a gift. It's a gift. Waltke, one more time, he says this. 
Let the church look to the triune God from whom every good and perfect gift comes, including the gift to give one's life to serve others. Because it is a gift. It is a gift. If we're going to be these righteous people, people who, who disadvantage themselves in order to advantage others, if we're going to be these people in Hastings Sunrise, it, it will not be because you follow my example. It will not be because you follow Heath's example. And it will not be because we mention it every Sunday in every sermon. It will not be because it's one of our core values and we just drive it home time after time after time. It won't be because of any of those things. It won't be because we made a fancy video. It won't be because we have cool branding. It will be because of this. Look at Philippians 2 verse 6. It will be because you grab hold of the mind that is rightfully yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Did not count literally the power that was rightfully his, something to be used to his own advantage, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a scandalous cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Our righteous living begins and ends with Jesus, lifting high Jesus, because it is Jesus who is being formed in us. That's crazy. Jesus is being formed in us. Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. It is Jesus who rose to new life. It is Jesus and his spirit who transforms our hearts. And it is Jesus who is coming again to restore all things to his righteousness. Would you stand with me as we respond this afternoon? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.